fixing my top. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Yes, yes. I, I did ask her if she was ready. I know, I know. She said yes, and then she proceeded to do something else. It wasn't else. a whole... It wasn't like a wardrobe malfunction. It okay, was just, just some wardrobe just, uh, adjustment. Okay, that's yes. good. We're, we're grateful for that. I, I actually buttoned down my collar buttons and everything else today. Because it's Monday and y'all are here and this is our class on Mark. Yes. So when, uh, the, we got some rain today and a, little, a lot of thunder around. And then it went away and now it's sunny out. and Very nice out. We do have the neighbors next door. They're, they're yeah, they guys be, are here. Uh, so I mean, we, they may be noisy here in a bit, but yeah. I don't think it bothers. I don't think it bothers people that much because of the microphone. That could be the way it's put yes. together yeah, and stuff. I don't think it gets that. It's meant to kind of keep that stuff away and yep. hear you and hear me. That's right. I Mainly you. Anyway, you're the important one. You're the important one, oh, dear. You're the so <laughs> you have anything? What, what do you have for us today, Patty? I hardly While have I work anything. on the picture I've a little bit here. I don't know Nothing? what I can tell you. Yes, okay. I just came back from a, a nice lunch with a friend, and she's actually watching too. So, hey, Susan. <laughs> um, everything I think is is really pretty good. Okay. Uh, you know, so grateful to have some rain. Uh, it's been weird. I don't know about y'all's homes, but uh, in two of the last three nights, we have had a boom of thunder so close to our house it sounded like windows could have broken right yes i mean just yes. and nothing no there rain no rain but no it, rain. it sounded like it was so close that it could have possibly hit like a neighbor's house or something it all just missed us yeah and thankful of course we're so thankful for that um but i think otherwise scotty everything is good 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 i think we're good. ready to move on okay got you know, Jesus is going to calm the storm. You know, we need him to calm the yeah, storm in all of our hearts right sure now. Do. There's a lot a lot of stuff There's going, a lot on, going and on. Worrying about this crazy world of ours so, that was all made good. That's right. So, um, want to pray us into this? Sure. And I'll pray us out. Okay, okay. that's a plan. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. Our hearts are still with the families um, of all of those who were murdered and injured at the Allen Mall. And it's just, it's a hard thing to really take in and believe it happened, but it, it did. And it just reminds us that this is a broken world. It seems more broken every day, every week, every month. And um, we pray that um, for renewal and restoration and for for more light in this world and less darkness. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Okay. Very good, Patty. So I will adjust, make the necessary adjustments here. And like I said, we are in Mark 4.35. And that is what begins sort of a new section. The last section, if you look back at the first part of Mark, remember was all these parables, okay? And so this, this now is going to make kind of a clean break um, because Jesus is going to make a trip to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, sometimes the gospel is called the lake because it was sometimes referred to as the Lake of Galilee because it was actually, I think, in our world here in Texas, we would call it a lake. It's about 12 miles long or so. I think we'd call it a lake. But um, anyway, so... 
there are two stories here. The coming of the storm and the exorcism coming up in chapter 5 that are really, they're linked together. So that's what we will be looking for. Um, just remember that there are two, two key things that Mark is bringing out right now. One is the growing um, revelation about who Jesus is, disclosing it more and more clearly. And that is certainly part of what we're going to see here shortly. And then the other is the growing opposition to Jesus. And that we're going to see today as well. Okay? Um, and we usually think of the opposition as the Pharisees and the scribes. But there are more in God's creation than just Pharisees and scribes who oppose Jesus. So, if you would... Join me. I Again, I'm reading from the NIV. Any translation will do. It's not that hard to follow along. Scott, I do want to mention that yes. a, a moment ago I lost you and your video was huh. off. But I restarted. I went back through Facebook and you're up and you're fine again. But just in case that happened to anybody else, who would know why? It's a beautiful day. We should have no problem whatsoever with any of this. But... But we did. But we did. So I'm going to plunge on ahead. So don't forget, this is also always available by podcast, you know, not too long after we finish. And I also put it up on YouTube. So um, the recording I make here, so that would be uninterrupted. So if you have to drop out or go shopping or whatever, you can always come back and finish up if you'd like. So look at verse 35 of chapter 4. So that day when evening came, if if you if you look back at the previous paragraph, it's it's just explaining that Jesus taught, spoke to people using parables. When he was with his disciples alone, he explained everything. And then it says in verse thirty-five, that day when evening came. So that's really very Mark, very Markin. It is what Mark does. He is always pushing the action forward. So that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Okay, so that I brought the, our little map. I brought my maps here. Of course I did. I love my maps. You do love your maps. I know. So there is Capernaum, and they are going to take a boat um, trip to the other side. There's, there's a um, drawing of Capernaum as it would have looked in Jesus' day. And they're going to sail. Oh, wait, that brought this picture this week. Sorry, this is the mustard seed plant. Remember wow. when Jesus said a mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds? Yeah. And and then he talks about it growing into this big bush or tree or something. Wow. That's it. That's ginormous. Yeah. Isn't it wild? It and is. it And it blossoms, blooms with all these tiny little yellow flowers. And they are what make mustard. Aha. Uh -huh. So, there we go. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is there, but anyway, onward. Here's the map from Capernaum. Now, they are going to head to a place on the other side of the lake. Um, Gergesa, but the name doesn't matter to us too much yet. It will be after we finish the story of the crossing of the Sea of Galilee. Um, the thing to realize when he sets out is that by going from the northwestern shore to the eastern shore, he's going from Jewish lands 
to Gentile lands. Okay, not that it's like a political thing. It is. It is who lives there. Um, Jesus's fellow Jews populate the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and they tend to be very devout, more devout than your typical urban Jew of Jesus's day. But now then across over to the eastern side, which is Gentile. And, and on the eastern side, you come across the cities of the Decapolis, meaning 10 cities, they were Gentile cities. Um, so that's a really a key thing to realize is that this little trip um, that they're getting in the boat to take is a trip from Jewish lands to Gentile lands. So, verse 36. Jesus has said, let's go over to the other side. So, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. Um, funny little bit there, probably just as he was. Probably meaning, yeah, okay, he's been teaching out of the boat. They pretty much stayed at the boat and off they went. <laughs> In the boat. And then look at this next line. There were also other boats going with him. So there's like a little armada making its way across the Sea of Galilee toward that distant shore. And realize that it's not, it's not a small thing for these Galilean Jews to be heading to the eastern shore because um, Jews of Jesus' day, particularly more devout Jews such as you find um, around Capernaum and Nazareth and, and that northwest, that Galilean part, they, they don't really mix with Gentiles. They don't eat with Gentiles. You can see that, that issue emerging with Paul and Peter in Paul's letters. Um, so, so it's kind of a big thing that they are setting out and they are going east and the crowd wants to follow. So other people are piling into boats because they want to go over as well. Now, what are these boats like? Um, this is this this boat was found about thirty. Well, gosh, yeah, thirty years ago or so, um, during a drought. It, the drought made the waters of the Sea of Galilee recede and it uncovered this first century fishing boat. So it gives you some idea of the scale. Look at the people in the background there. So the boat would hold a handful of people, but not, not more. It's no big structure. Um, it would be single-masted. Here is a reconstruction of a typical first century fishing boat. Um, could hold, you know, a number of people and and like I said, be generally single-masted. Single okay, so we'll come back to that one. All right, so verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat that it was nearly swamped. For Jesus' followers, this is scary. These are not seagoing people. They're not seagoing people. Those, like in history, those were like the Philistines and all those people over there on the coast. No, the, these these were not seafaring people. And the water was always a place where monsters lived and it was a domain of demons and chaos. And so there's always this um, 
with the water this spiritual dimension to what you and I would simply call the weather and the movement of the waves and all that kind of. For them, it would, there was more going on in the water than that. And you can see it, um, gosh, even th think about the Loch Ness Monster and the Kraken and these other ancient stories of monsters, the Leviathan, other monsters in the sea. Well, the Jews were very much that way. Very much that way. They, they fished in it. Fishing didn't have to take them out too far from shore. Um, and it's, it's now they've been, I don't know, maybe they had to, some of them had to steal up their courage and they're going to sail across and now they're getting swamped. So this is Rembrandt's painting of, of the storm. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, could it be that violent? Well, I guess it could be, right? I mean, we get pretty violent storms here in Texas. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty decent-sized body of water, and the winds can be very strong because of the topography there with the wind coming down. But Rembrandt doesn't know all that. I don't think so much. He's just painting a scary, scary storm, yes. right? Because what does it say? A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, which means they were all, all going to drown. And what is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus was in the stern, you know, back in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. You know, sleeping the sleep of babes, right? What does he know that the disciples don't know? So... The disciples woke him, and they said to him, in the, the, this is in a kind of a rebuking way, because they don't, notice they don't call him Lord, which they have done before. Here they just say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? As in, get up and do something. It, it, is, it, is, it is kind of a rebuking on the part of the disciples. Verse 39. Well, just, just pay attention to how matter-of-fact this is. After being awakened by his disciples, not by the storm, being awakened by his disciples, he got up and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Now, quiet, be still is something I think probably all parents have said to their children. Probably more than once. Don't you think, Patty? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Isn't, I mean, I don't think anybody would, uh, anybody in our world would think of, of a storm coming up and then somebody getting up to rebuke the wind. You rebuke people. You don't rebuke a chair. You don't rebuke a table. He, you don't rebuke the wind. But that's what Jesus is doing, right? The wind is just wind patterns and all that kind of stuff, and meteorology, and the thing that weather people like to talk about on the news. And then he speaks to the waves. I mean, it isn't. He says, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Don't they understand who they are with? Don't they understand yet? They've seen exorcisms. They've seen healings. They've seen his teachings. They've been with him for a while now, and they still don't understand. And even if you fast forward the story to the day when Peter confesses to Jesus that Jesus is, is the Messiah, does Peter really get the significance of that? No. I know Jimmy preached about this yesterday. No. Peter doesn't, he, he, gets, he gets it right. You are the Messiah. But he doesn't understand the significance of it. And when Jesus talks about where he must be headed, which is toward crucifixion, though not in so many words, Peter says, oh, no, 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 can't be. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter doesn't, doesn't grasp the significance of the identification. You know, it's one thing to know who a person is. It's another thing to understand the significance of that person and what they are, what they're doing in the family or the neighborhood or the church or the world. So here they're, they're still in this phase of having to be shown and taught who Jesus is. So what is Jesus, so what's happening here? Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's asleep in the boat. Why is he asleep in the boat? Because he is asleep, he's asleep in confidence that every single bit of God's cosmos must obey him. That's why. He's not silly. He's not ignorant. He isn't uncaring. He just knows. Storm or no storm, Jesus is in charge. And when he gets up, whom does he rebuke in the wind and the waves? The demons that populate those depths. Now, it reminds me that, you know, on Sunday mornings, I'm teaching this series on, on the Bible. Um, and I kind of got the idea from Michael Byrd's book, Seven Things I Want Christians to Know About the Bible. And the number four one from Michael Byrd, as he's an Australian scholar, is, well, okay, the Bible is for our time, it's really for all times, but it's not from our times, right? It comes from an ancient world, and in the ancient world, people had different worldviews than you and I have. We don't view diseases as being the work of demons, most of the time, I guess. We don't see demons... Um, in the ocean waters when they're rough and the wind is blowing and and but for the ancients they did they did and so that's why jesus rebukes the wind he rebuke he speaks to the waves and he says quiet be still and he is establishing for his disciples and the people i guess we're not told about them but i guess and the other boats, his, his divine authority. Notice another thing about this. Does he ever pray to God here to do something? Like, he do, like when he goes to pray to raise Lazarus in John's gospel, 
he goes to the tomb where the um, Lazarus has been in four days and he looks up to God and he says, God, you know, for the benefit of everybody here, I'm praying and so forth and so on. There's none of that here. He's nope. got the power on his he, own. Exactly, Patty. He has the power on his own. That's, of course he does with Lazarus too, but he is, I think, trying to make a, a point more to the, those that are there. Because Jesus has many points to make. Yes. But here it is, his, his just direct, unmediated divine authority, his, his divinity, right? Yes. Um, so in my Sunday class, you know, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, we were talking about an important creed in the history of the church, uh, talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and their unity, that, that they are equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty, uncreated as the Father, uncreated as the Son, uncreated as the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. Almighty is the Father, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit, and yet there are not three Almighty beings, but one who is Almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are three gods, but one God. And who do we see on display here? We see Jesus, God, who is Lord of the cosmos. And even the winds and the waves obey Jesus. Which is, it just carries me right back to that first exorcism back in early in Mark. When, when Jesus meets the man who is possessed, the demons know who Jesus is, and he casts them out, and they must go. They must go. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And they know that. And they know that. Yes. They know that. And so it is these two themes. One, sort of like, who is Jesus? Who is this guy, really? Okay, this disclosure of who Jesus really is alongside the opposition. And um, the opposition to Jesus is not only the priests and scribes and the Pharisees, but it is the demons. You know, um, in the biblical parlance, demons are angels who have chosen against God. We don't know why, other than we could ask, well, why, does, why would anybody choose against God? But they do. And so have the demons chosen against God. And this is, this is, this is the way that these ancient people understood the world around them. It helped them to explain a lot of things in their world. Because they, they don't have a lot of the explanations that we have. And um, he says, look at verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It is... One of the goals of, I, th I think, of our life in Christ is to grow our faith to the point where the things that might have once scared us do not scare us anymore because we rest confident in the arms of Jesus. We know what we 
we know who God is and we know what God is doing in this world and we are confident in that. Confident in that. Confident in the resurrection of Jesus. What we have that the disciples don't have is the knowledge of the resurrection. That alone should cause us to give them a lot of grace. They had their expectations of a Messiah, and Jesus is not going to meet those expectations at all. But you and I live on the other side of the resurrection. And it should be the ground of our faith, the, the unassailable truth that, that leads us to this deeper and deeper understanding of who God is. So he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it says, verse 41, they were terrified. No longer by the storm, I think. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Right? That's just, that's so, what is it? It's just so right. That's just so us. That's so human. You know, they see the display of, of God's authority and it scares them. I think we would all be scared, driven to our knees. You know, the prophets have these moments. Must you again. Well, well, okay. The prophets have these moments where they are driven to their knees, where they experience what Carl Otto called the numinous. The numinous. Um, and they they can hardly put it into words. And it scares them. Of course it does. And the disciples are scared. We are too inclined to make, you know, God our, our buddy. We, we, we lose a sense of this otherness, this awesomeness. And here it is on full display for the disciples in the boat. They were terrified, Mark writes, and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right. So... You know, Patty tells me something is clicking in and out. It may not be for anybody else, but Patty, I don't know. I don't. I can't see any of that because Every, I'm just. I've got everybody I believe is back, and so it, for whatever okay. reason, my my desktop is kind of failing me a little bit here today. So. Well, it could be because it has a different connection, really, than your yes. um, iPad does. So I'm going to make sure I've got you. Yeah. So anyway, desktops. all right. So. What is that? What is that story about? We need to hang on to what the story is about. Jesus takes them across the water. He's going someplace on purpose, as we're going to find out. The storm comes up. Jesus is absolutely untroubled by it. it sleeps right through it until his disciples come over here and rebuke him, basically, and say, "Get up, do something. Don't you care about us?" And he gets up, and in the most matter-of-fact way possible. He rebukes the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still, and all calms down. And the, 
and and the disciples are left agog. So, all right, all right. So, anything on on that? You know, you could type it into the. Oh, good. So glad a number of people are writing that they're not having any yeah. problems. It could just so, be you, so Patty. So it could just yes. be, you know, your your connection or something. I, I've got you open on a couple places now. Yeah, I That's... think you know the desktop is one, but it doesn't. It's not connected the same way the iPad is. Yeah. All right. Oh, good. Thank you all for letting okay. me know that you, everything was good. And you know, if you ever do leave us for whatever reason, if you just go out of Facebook. And then go back in, click on your notification for Scott's class. It should be right back up. I don't know why sometimes it does happen, but thank you all for hanging in there. Okay, so let's go back to this. Whoop. Oh, Scott, come on. Back. Whoop. There we go. All right, let's go back to the map. Ooh. So. That was a scary picture. Yeah, it is. It's where we're headed. Okay. So they're going from Capernaum over to Gergesa, amongst the Gergesenes. Now, all four Gospels don't agree exactly about which place they're headed for. It doesn't matter. You don't have to try to explain it away. They're all. The key is it's all on the eastern shore, the land of the Gentiles. And Jesus is going to, I'm just going to tell you what's going to come. Jesus is going over there for one thing, and then he's turning around and coming back. So you know that on the voyage there, he has a single-minded purpose. Single-minded purpose. And what we're going to go to in chapter 5, I taught that, I, there was a show on TV that Patty and I don't watch. We couldn't watch it. It's too gross, too disgusting, too evil, too nasty, called, I think, American Horror Story or something. And one time I, I was teaching this story, and the slide I used was one I adapted and called it the Jewish Horror Story. Because literally, I hate you, I hate that word. But, and, <laughs> literally. <laughs> really. Every, it's just packed with things that would have horrified the Jewish listeners, the Jewish readers in Jesus' day, just horrified them. All this verboten stuff, and Jesus is going to wade into it. And and it's, it's a long story. It's one of the longest stories in Mark. When a gospel writer, or really any of the New Testament writers, take a long time with a story, you know that it's important. It's like in the book of Acts. The longest story in the book of Acts is when Peter meets Cornelius, the Roman Gentile. And that's a huge story because it is about taking the good news to the larger world. And in a way, this is the same kind of story, except it's in the Gospels. Okay? So we're at Mark 5, verse 1. Thank you, Patty. Make sure all on the same page. I've got to give my... Eyes a brief rest here. So, they went across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Okay, we're going to mark two horrifying 
moments for any Jew. First of all, of course, the impure spirit, the demonic spirit. The second one is the tombs. That's where dead people are. Jews had a lot of, of restrictions about dead people. If you, touch, if you touched a dead body, you were ritualistically unclean for a week. You had to wait for a week to get cleansed enough to where you could really do anything else and be with decent company. So, so um, right off the bat, Jesus gets out of the boat, runs into this man who's got, who's possessed by a demon and, and living in the tombs. Just the other, I guess it was the other night, I watched, sometimes when I, like when I get to bed, well, before Patty does, and she's getting ready, which is like every night. You <laughs> <laughs> just can't fall asleep that early. Yeah, yeah. So I, I you know, but I, I wait for her. I just get up there a little bit early and I get myself ready and then she comes up and she gets herself ready. So I will scroll around like like movie channels just for a few minutes because I could lay there in the quiet, but I don't know. I don't want to. So I tuned into just a few minutes of The Exorcist oh. with Linda Blair. Woo! Scary movie. I, I I saw somebody on Twitter asked, um, what was the scariest book you ever read? I actually replied on Twitter. I said The Exorcist. That was the scariest book I ever read. I read it was like well, I was like twenty, and I remember. I mean, I was like like I viewed myself as an adult then. I might have been twenty one, and I was sitting in a chair and it was like about midnight and I had a little light on and. I didn't want to turn the light off and walk over to bed in the dark. Honestly, I was so petrified by the book. Well, because demons are terrifying. And here we encounter a man who is possessed by an impure spirit. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs. He like lives in the graveyards. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chains. They couldn't control him. They couldn't control him. That's why I have this painting that some really wonderful artist did. Let me go go to it. There we go. Not the boat. Not the boat. Not even Rembrandt. There we go. You know, he's he's just... He's just, what would we call him today? A madman uncontrollable so much adrenaline flowing through his veins perhaps they can't bind him with ropes they can't chain him he's got inhuman strength he lived in the tombs no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Look at that level of detail in this. Yes. This is a true story. You know, there really weren't novelists in the ancient world like there are. This is a true story. Look at the level of detail that is preserved about this man. And he cut himself with stones. <coughs> 
So what is the demon doing to this man? The demon is destroying him. Piece by piece by piece. Destroying the man's body. Destroying the man's spiritually, emotionally, socially, right? He's not with family. He's not with friends. You can help yourself with this story if you think of him as a man who wants, who has a wife and two kids and a little farm where they've made their lives and he's been happy and a wonderful husband, a wonderful father. But now this demon has taken up residence inside of him and driven him into the tombs where he's nearly broken where he's nearly broken. Verse 6. When the man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of, in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice. Now, I'm going to read this, and you think to yourself, who is doing the shouting here? Is it the wonderful father and, and husband with you know, livestock in a farm? No. What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. In God's name, don't torture me. Whoa. First of all, it's the demon who is speaking to Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. So as with the other demons, they know who Jesus is. In this ongoing disclosure of Jesus' identity, these enemies of God know who Jesus is. And then the demon invokes an oath. That's what's happening in the Greek there. In God's name, don't torture me. That's, that's oath. Those are oath words. Those are almost like the words, like the reverse words of an exercise. Well, um, an exercise. In an exorcism, you know, in the name of God, come out, the priest might say. Or, um, uh, you know, the power, of the, the power of Christ compels you. I think that's from the yeah. movie, right? Yes. So, so um, in the NRSV, the demon adjures, A-D-J-U-R-E-S. He adjures Jesus. He takes an oath. It's... He solemnly swears in the name of God. He takes God's name in this, the demon does. Don't torture me. Which tells you what? That Jesus could. You see, the demon knows who Jesus is and he knows that he has full divine authority. Even the demon. Even the demon. is reigned over by Jesus. The demon surely doesn't want to be, but the demon knows that he is. So he says, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me, because Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then the demon pleads and pleads and takes an oath and says, Please, 
you know, don't torture me. What are you going to do with me? And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Names are important, more important in this world than in ours. Names in our world we have fun with, we maybe hand them down to families or whatever, but they don't carry the same sense of power and authority and control and control that they do in the ancient world that's why one of the Ten Commandments is don't take the Lord's name in vain because God's name is so intricately tied to who God is I mean I'm Scott you can call me something else people do Scotty boy Steve <laughs> yeah, Steve too. Fascinating. Usually when people get my name wrong, they call me Steve. I don't know why the name Scott and Steve go together, but they Steve is my brother. There's one to write down for you there. So Jesus asks this this the demon and this man, what is your name? And the man replies, the demon replies, Legion. Well So there's no, we're not 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 just talking one demon here. A whole host of demons have taken residence in this man. Right? Like, no wonder he's so bad off. Uh, and, so, yes, Patty? I, I, I was curious just to see yeah. what Eugene Peterson said of this little thing. And I think he, he, this is just Patty, certainly no Bible scholar. I think he downplays it all too much. But um, when Jesus asks him what his name is, he says, my name is Mob. I am a rioting mob. I don't know. Legion sounds so much more dangerous and scary to me. Well, it, it, Patty brings up a good point. It is all tied to the Greek word, which is really better understood as Legion because without it, you don't make the connection to Rome. Yes. See, Rome had, the, the Roman the army was made up of yes. legions. Right. Yes. So I am with those who think that 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 Jesus is making a point here about Rome, which is the next horrifying thing to Jesus's fellow Jews, because Rome was what Rome was the hated pagan oppressors, who were occupying the land and executing Jews and the rest of it. And and so he says, "My name is Legion." Plus, that just sounds. That sounds just sounds so cool. Menacing. menacing. Yeah. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Because the word Legion conveys a large number, which you could just translate it mob. That is okay. But you lose, I think, an important piece of this. So most everybody knows it the way the NIV has it. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. They don't, they realize Jesus has the authority to exercise them from this man, but for some reason, they want to stay in the area. Don't ask me why. People have asked me why. 
in the, over the course of the years. I, you know, I don't know. But, but they begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, a large herd of pigs. Well, if you're keeping score out there, there's another Jewish horror story. Because the Jews couldn't abide pigs. They couldn't eat pork. They didn't keep pigs. In the story of the prodigal son, what is the worst moment? What is the darkest moment? The lowest moment in his Las Vegas trip when he is reduced to taking care and feeding pigs and living on what pigs eat. So, you know, Jewish... When... When Jesus and the disciples got back and the disciples were telling this story, and I presume the people on the other boats were telling this story. They're, I mean, they left. I presume they got there. And then they would have gone back and told this story. I mean, I could just see people's hair standing on end, <gasps> gasping left and right. And so verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, quick, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Whew. Well, okay. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out of the man, right? And went into the pigs. Now, I guess the spirits probably thought, okay, the pigs make what? A suitable way station on the way to other better homes or something, um, other better residences, presumably in people. Again, you just got to put yourself back in this ancient world, right? And read the story on its own terms. So we gave them permission and the impure spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs, this whole big herd of pigs. The herd, about 10,000 in number, 10,000? 10,000 10, or 2,000? Wait, this is, yeah, that's that bit. 2,000 in number. That number is shocking, 2,000. In the ancient world, an incredibly important measure of wealth was livestock. Right? Mm -hmm. And so here we have 2,000 pigs that belong to somebody. They're, they're, they're part of somebody or some large groups of somebody's wealth. And so the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank. It is a very steep bank there on the eastern side. Into the lake, and they were drowned in the Sea of Galilee. So, did the demons expect to be swept down the steep hillside into the water by the pigs, and the pigs throw themselves into the water rather than be possessed by, maybe the pigs were like driven mad, whatever that would mean to a pig. But in any event, think about this. Where do the demons end back up? Where do they end up? Dead. Right? No, the demons don't end up dead. Oh, well, you're not gonna you're not gonna drown a demon. Where, oh. where for the demons? Where's the abyss that you're gonna find demons? Hell. In the water. Oh gosh. 
in the water. Sure, remember, I was yes. talking about like in the water, the water and it's chaos and there's monsters and demons and all this stuff. And so it's not crazy for Jesus to get up and to rebuke the wind and speak to the waves and all that kind of thing. And even they obey him. And now the demons find themselves thrust downward back into the water, back toward the abyss in there. The pigs drown and now the spirits are, I would like to think, trapped <laughs> but i don't know you know this is a story that gosh does it generate lots of questions that i can't answer that nobody can really answer that's a that the the story doesn't answer for us but the demons have left the man and the havoc and chaos that the demons had wreaked on the man is now going to be healed. Okay, so look at the next verse. Now those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Well, you can bet they did. These are their pigs. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, he found some clothes, I guess. He's dressed, and he's in his right mind. And they were afraid. Just like the disciples were afraid in the boat when they had seen that demonstration of Jesus' authority and power mm -hmm. and sovereignty, now the people see the man, and it's they can't explain it. They don't understand it. What do you mean he's in his right mind and he's sitting here dressed and he's munching on a, <laughs> on a sandwich or something, right? They were, of course they were afraid. We're afraid of things that we don't, that we can't explain, that we don't understand. And it can take us to some very dark places um, in ourselves and in our relationships with others. So, verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This is the Gentile region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So why do they want Jesus to leave? Well, they just lost 2,000 pigs. Bingo, that's one. Yeah. This is something they can't explain. They're scared of it. And so they want to go back to their lives, a good bit poor, but back to their lives. With a story, to, they'll have a story to tell, but they, they, want it, they want it over. So the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Verse 18. So as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. That's understandable, isn't it? Yes. The man has been healed mentally, physically, spiritually, and he's even been healed socially because now he can go home, I'd like to think, to his wife, his two kids, little farm um, with his livestock scratching out a living 
He's been restored. He's been renewed. He has a, he's been given a new, a new life. He's been freed from bondage to these, to these demons. You see, that's what Jesus does. Jesus frees us from bondage to sin, death, illness, demons. That's what, that's what the arrival of the kingdom of God is all about. That's why he heals people, to show them that, look, in God, in the kingdom of God, we are freed from our bondage to all these ills and troubles and cares and wars and all the rest of it. But even though he can go home, how could the man not want to stay with Jesus? I get that. But look at verse 19. Jesus did not let him. Instead, he said to him, Go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. The Decapolis is a region, the name of a region in which there are 10 Greek cities, 10 Greekified cities, right? They're not, they're not Jewish cities, they're Gentile, Greco-Roman, Greek-style Greek cities on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's from. He's a Gentile. By every indication in the story, he's a Gentile. And he's gonna go back to the Gentiles and he is gonna spread the good news about Jesus. And he does that. The man went away, began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were what? In Mark's favorite word? Amazed. 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 You know, I got a question over the weekend from a church member who wanted to ask, you know, why is it that in the Gospels, he was reading the Gospels, and he said, why does Jesus tell people after he's healed them to keep it quiet and don't tell anybody? Which he does almost all the time. The key is to see that he tells it to people he heals in the Jewish areas. In the Jewish areas, because in those areas, Jesus is trying to keep the lid on this long enough to where he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish and not have the thing, his whole ministry, come to a premature conclusion. Because he does know where it's going. He knows he's not going to back off in this confrontation with the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes. So he's, he's, he knows where it's going. But on the Gentile areas, on the eastern side, sure. Go tell everybody. Because you see, Jesus is not merely the Jewish Messiah, which has, the Messiah is a word that only had meaning for the Jews. He is Savior of the world. Savior of the world. And in when God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3 that all the families of the earth would be blessed, that promise is finally coming to fruition. Because the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, every single bit of it is not just for his fellow Jews. It is for all the world and if you're in that world, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile in the way the Jews categorize people. 
all the world, all the people. So he says, yes, go, go, go. Tell people what what has happened and, and tell them this good news. And the man did. And so the, it's like, it's, it's like, um, what, what's the Great Commission? Jesus gives his disciples, his closest disciples before he returns to the Father at the end of, of his time on earth post-resurrection. Well, you know, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples. Go tell the nations. Go baptize the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is a precursor of that. It's, it's like one of my, it's like a signpost. I like, I like thinking about signposts to what's coming. It's a signpost to that. So, anyway, okay. Any thoughts or questions anybody's got? So those are two very big stories, and they're big stories because they are stories about the deepest truth of who Jesus is, transcending even Messiah. He is the Son of the Most High. Indeed, he is God himself. And when people in the decades and early centuries after Jesus' death and resurrection began to write and remember and read and study the um, the gospels that were put down and Paul's letters and the rest these were the kind of stories that led to the Trinity because these early Christians they were all the early Christians were all um, almost all Jewish for 10 years they were all Jewish Firmly, radically monotheistic. So they came to understand that they that when they worshiped Jesus as God, they weren't worshiping two gods. That the Shema that they had learned and said their whole life, O Israel, you know, hear that the Lord your God is one, that that was that was as true as it had ever been. But Jesus had shown them a deeper understanding of God's being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Trinity isn't just something that sort of pops into people's heads or something they just kind of reason out. Well, this is would be fascinating. It comes from Scripture. And reasoning through what is depicted and written in Scripture. So, okay, so... Let's go on just a little bit. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side, so now he's going back, right? Remember when I said he, he seems to have a single purpose. He gets in the boat, other boats follow, to go confront these demons who have, who have possessed this man. And now they're going to return to the other side of the lake. They're going to go back to Capernaum, somewhere in that area. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, that would be the western side, northwestern shore, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, 
he fell at his feet. Synagogues, a synagogue is just the Greek word for meeting place. Um, it, it doesn't, it didn't necessarily have any religious connotation to it in the Greek world. It was just a meeting place. Um, but for the Jews, the center of their religion was the temple in Jerusalem. The priests, the sacrifices, that was the heart, beating heart of Judaism. But the people still wanted some place to gather as God's people and and to read scripture, to pray together, to live their lives together. And those were the synagogues that they would come to every Saturday morning, um, men and women. They sat apart. The men, women could not sit with the men, but um, being a synagogue leader would be an important, an important person. And Jairus has come, and when he has seen Jesus, and he, and he went and fell at his feet. Now, so you know that something is up. And he pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Notice there's no ifs, ands, or buts in here. The man's, the, the man's words are an expression of utter faith, utter confidence. My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. No, gosh, let's see how this works out. Would you please come? Maybe you can help her. None of that. None of the mamby-pamby stuff. Nope. I wonder if mamby-pamby's in the dictionary. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Of course Jesus is going to respond himself to such faith. Of course. When people come to God in faithful prayer, of course God responds. When people come to God with the idea that prayer can't really matter, can't really change anything, so what, then why should God respond to that? But here the man has come to Jesus, thrown himself at Jesus' feet in his desperation. His little beloved daughter is dying. And he just knows. He just knows that Jesus can heal her. Well, a large crowd followed and they pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, what that means, there are a lot of implications of this. This is a woman who has basically been having her She's been menstruating for 12 years. She has some physical problem. In our world, that would be bad enough, right? How terrible would that be, Patty? Awful. Awful, awful. In their world, for these Jews, you could multiply that times 10 because it has made her unclean. 
in their world amongst the Jews, a woman who was menstruating was unclean, ritualistically unclean, and she would have to separate herself from the family and from the community and go away until her period was over. Then she would go through some cleansing and then she could come back. So for 12 years, she's lived apart. You know, she has a, she wants to been possessed like the guy was on the other side of the lake, but 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 she's lived apart like he was having to be apart. She's lived apart for 12 years. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse and worse and worse. How desperate she must have been. How desperate she must have been. Well, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Seems like a funny thought, but it's not. In their world, again, clothing like that could 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 be a conveyance of of magic or power or whatever so she says all i have to do is just touch his cloak that that all this is going to take just just touch his cloak and immediately her bleeding stops so she just reaches out she touches the cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. When Patty and I were on the last Israel trip, we went to a place called Magdala. And there was this wonderful church that had been built like five years ago, right? About five yes. years ago. Yes, very new. And downstairs there was a chapel with a just very striking painting. And I will bring a photo of that to you next week. I didn't really think we'd, I would get this far today i will bring that for you next week that conveys just this this hand reaching down there toward jesus's feet trying to touch touch something just touch his cloak that's all the painting is the, the name of the painting. chapel that this is in in magda is called the encounter chapel and the name of the picture the painting is called the encounter mm. and i was very blessed to be given a gift People knew when I talked on the trip how much this meant to me, and I was given a gift of a copy of this beautiful canvas. I would highly recommend for you all to go online, just pull up Magdala in Israel, put the Encounter Chapel, and look for the painting of the Encounter. And I, and I will bring it next week. It, it is, um, it's absolutely so moving. It was something you know i pray each time we go to israel it's something that god somehow would let something new and magical come to me it's i'm always pinching myself the whole time this was it i walked in this chapel and i could almost cry now i nearly fell to my knees growing up as a catholic girl i had heard this story so many times i can't even tell you and in my mind i just always especially as a little girl imagine this little hand reaching through the crowd and when you look at this painting and you see this woman's faith in Jesus, that she was willing to crawl on the ground. To try to get to him so she could touch, she is down by she his, could touch feet. his cloak right yes. down there. 
in my mind, it was always somebody reaching out and touching him on the shoulder or somewhere on his waist. But to know, wow, wow, it, it's just so stunning. And it just kind of just knocks you back for a minute and just kind of gives you one of those, how strong is my faith mm. moments. It's anyway, I hope that you all, if you get a chance to look at it again, called The Encounter. Why don't you um, type it in for him? I will. Um, in this chapel, it's the only thing that's in there. It's the only thing that's down there. You, you get the seating, and then there gigantic, is... Gigantic. Um, it's a huge painting. Uh, painting. And um, anyway, I am so grateful for that gift. And she and she says, if, she says, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And then immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She just, and she's, it's just instantaneously. And, and when we come back together next week, I will have the painting and we will see what, what Jesus experiences in this, which is kind of a pretty big surprise. What, to us, how this encounter is, is for Jesus. So um, I remember way back when I first started preaching regularly at 9.30, and I started preaching regularly at 9.30 in 2007, way back, this was one of the first sermons I, I did back then, as I recall. And it's such a powerful, such a powerful story. And um, uh We'll come back to it next week. And just notice when, just I'll have one part, one last thing to say. Notice when it's happened. He is on his way to save the daughter of the synagogue leader. Yes. And that's when the encounter happens. That's when the encounter happens. So, um, okay, very good. Then we will, we will come back to that story next week. I'll have a nice, uh, photo of the painting to show you and a few photos of the chapel I think it's just a they did a you know one thing you go to the Holy Land and you see these various places that the Catholic Catholics have built and they do that pretty well they do they, they do, do it pretty well like the one in Magdala or the, the the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth what a beautiful building and church that is and you can just see the devotion yes um, just all over the grounds of uh, there. So yeah, I gotta move further there, dear. Yes, you can look up pictures of this church online, which you probably will, you could find a lot of them. And what is so stunning about it is that the church is built in Magdala, very close to the shoreline, because so much of that, of course, it's all that Scott's always telling us, we read the Bible about it, fishing, right? fishing boats. So inside this beautiful church, which is new, they have built a replica of like a first century boat. It's the altar. It, and it's the altar of the church. And instead of having a wall in the back, it is completely glass floor to ceiling. And the way that it's designed, it looks like the boat is in it, the water. Because there's an infinity pool on yes. the other side of the glass. It, it's just it's just stunning. And then in the lower level of this church is the chapel that's called the Encounter Chapel with, right. this, with this painting. So um, yeah, just... Really, really, Catholics can build really beautiful churches. They can. They, they, and which, when you're there, especially in Israel, we all get to take um, 
take advantage of how That's beautiful right. they are and right. um, how meaningful they yes. are. They are. Yes. So, anyway, sorry, it's that shocked me. I have to tell you all, just me even talking about walking into the room and seeing that painting just brought me almost to tears because it's just one of those things, you know. God puts different things in our lives. Um, and no true. one else on the trip may felt anything like I did, but that 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 was it for me. That was it. That was it for me. It's just amazing, amazing. And anyway, thank you okay. for letting me share it. Well, we're so glad you did. <laughs> and now we're going to ask you to close us in prayer. I sure will. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We are just always blessed to have you here, and I'm blessed to be a part of it too. Um, as I am just like just like you are Scotty but you know you're teaching so let's pray Heavenly Father we do thank you today we thank you for this beautiful Monday that we have we thank you God for this opportunity that we get to come together and we get to study your word God it's it's just a wonderful thing that you know it, it's so normal to us now um, since COVID that sometimes we forget just how special this is, Lord, that we get to be here virtually and um, studying your word. As Scott opened, Lord, today, we, we pray, God, for, we pray for our nation and our state and our city and this last, this last terribly violent act, God, just, I think, just shook us all so strongly. Um, it always does when we see these things happening in other parts of the country, but this was one of those times where you realize it was truly in your backyard and someplace maybe you've been before. And we just we just pray, God, today for those that are suffering so much, God, from this tragedy that happened over the weekend. We pray, God, for their families. We pray for those in the hospital that are just still suffering, God, from their injuries. And we pray for, you know, mental health and um, just your peace, God, for all those that were part of this very, very tragic day. And God, we realize it's not new. It's it's almost like every few days we, we watch the news and we hear about this in some other place. And we just pray, God, for your peace. We know that, Lord Jesus, you are truly our only, you are our only answer. You are our only answer, God. And we just pray for peace, God, in this world, your peace, God, that passes all understanding. All this we lift up to you today, God, and we pray it in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Bye, Adios, folks. everybody. Enjoy the rest of your lovely Monday. Yes, it is lovely out today. It is. It is. Bye, all.